15 tonight, Acts chapter 1, verse number 15. We'll cover several verses tonight, hopefully, as we go through. Many of what we'll look at tonight are tied together because as we look, we're going to find that um, as uh, Luke is writing for us and Peter is talking, he says some things and uh, there's some separations between what he says and especially in regard to the uh, the, the scripture that he was quoting from, it jumps from one uh, from verse 15 down to about verse 20 or 21. And uh, so we'll, we'll do a little bit of skipping around tonight. Okay? Let's begin in verse number 15, Acts chapter 1, verse number 15. Luke says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120. And then it goes on and said, and we'll talk about the said part, in those days, what days was he talking about? Well, it's that 10-day period between the, resurrect, or rather the ascension of Jesus and the time that the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. And so it's in, that, uh, in the midst of those days that this is what we're reading about here in verses 15 and following is taking place. We know that they were devoting their time to prayers. We talked about that. And we talked about, you know, they were in the upper room, but they were spending evidently their days out at the temple. And uh, all of that was in our lesson last week. And, uh, and so now we have them and we, we sort of shift gears here to, to some business that needed to be taken care of, some things that needed to be accomplished. And so in those days, Peter stood up and began to say. Now, notice that he has a parenthetical statement here. In that, those days, the company of the persons was in all about 120. So we had 120 uh, followers of Jesus who evidently were gathering together, not that they were all in the upper room, not that they were all together at that one point, but they were lingering around, they were meeting together, uh, about 120 of them. So, you know, that's a far cry from <clears throat> the days when Jesus himself was teaching and they had the multitudes that were following them. And it will be a far cry from what will happen in just a few more days when they're preaching on the day of Pentecost and God himself draws the great crowd together by the commotion that happens through the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that there were thousands then, but at this particular time, during this 10-day period, there, there is a, a group, a core group, I guess you might say, of about 120, including... Remember, we talked about last time the women, uh, those who were there. We talked about Mary. We talked about uh, uh, Jesus' brothers and so forth. And so as we look at it, we we have, in addition to those uh, that are mentioned in verse 14, we have a a great number of about 120 that are together. Now, the question is, what did Peter say? It just so happens that this particular slide cuts off on uh, verse 15. And so it says that he stood up in those days and he said, well, what did, what was it that Peter said? Verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who rest, arrested Jesus. Let's take that verse and let's break it down, do some study together about it tonight. As you notice, he addresses the brothers, those 120, and not just the men, but talking to the, to the women who are there, the 120 followers who are there. 
He said the scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, it's interesting to me when he says that the scripture had to be fulfilled, he uses a word which is used in other places in, in, in the scripture, but uh, it, it's, uh, we see that word that it had to be fulfilled, and, and yeah, we understand that, but, but it's a stronger word. It's a word that some, most often is translated must be fulfilled. And let's, let's go to a couple of other passages where this word is used and see how it's used. Look at Luke 9, verse 22. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Same, same writer, Luke, of course, wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. So what happens here, what is said here in uh, Luke 9, verse 22? And we'll make a point with this as we, after we look at these uh, three or four verses here. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and chief priests, and scribes, and he kill, and be killed, and he raised, and be raised the third day. All right. The Son of Man, what? Must suffer. Okay. There's our word again. The word translated had here in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 16, it's translated must there. Was there any way that salvation could be accomplished in any other way than what Jesus did? When, when we read in the Old Testament and when we read the prophecies that were made, and, and we know even Jesus prayed on the night before his crucifixion, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, there was not another, another way. But the Bible says here in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer. In Luke chapter 17, verse 25, again, in that passage, the Bible says, but first he must suffer many things. In Luke chapter 22, at verse 37, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with the transgressors for... What is it written, uh, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Luke 24, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. Now, why did we go back and look at all of those? Uh, it wasn't to kill time, but it was, <coughs> it was equally as true and it was equally as necessary for Judas to betray Jesus as it was for Jesus to go through all that he went through. Now, we'll talk in, in just a few minutes more about did, you, did Judas have any, have any say in the matter, and we'll talk about that more. But what happened through the one who would betray Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament, and that scripture had to be, it must have been fulfilled. It must be fulfilled. Now, if that one point had been left out, if that one thing had been changed, what would we say about Jesus? What could we say about him? He said, I came to fulfill how much of the scripture? All of it. All things must be fulfilled. And there was not one that was prophesied in regard to him in the Old Testament that was not fulfilled. And so when we look at it, 
You know, it's equally as true and it's equally as important that what happened through Judas take place and, uh, and not only that, but what would take place after his uh, betrayal of Jesus and what is found here, that it too must also take place because the Old Testament scriptures, it was prophesied there. Okay? So, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Now, notice what he says next here, and we'll, we'll come back uh, to the scripture part in just a second. But notice what he says, that the scripture had to be fulfilled. Who spoke it? Who spoke that scripture, that Old Testament scripture that we'll look at in just a minute? It's found in Psalms, but who spoke it? Who? I heard one say the Holy Spirit, and I heard somebody else say David. Now, which one did it? Huh? That's not a trick question. <laughs> Yeah, it's very simple. The Holy Spirit spoke, how? By the mouth of David. Whenever the writers of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, say when Moses was writing the book of Genesis, you know, Moses is the, is the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when he's writing those books, are those the words of Moses, or are they the words of God? They're the words of God. How did Moses know anything about Adam and what God said to Adam and what Adam said back? Moses wasn't there. And Adam was dead already. Now, there's not that big a span in between Moses and Adam, but, but uh, how did Moses know? Well, he got a first-hand account, not from Adam, but he got a first-hand account from God, through the Spirit. The Old Testament writers wrote, as the Spirit, uh, Peter would say, moved them or bore them along. And the same thing is true here. What was said about Judas and what we're going to read here in a minute when we get down to verse 20, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke it, but he spoke through the mouth of David. And David penned these things, wrote them down for us so that we would be able to have that information. Okay? So, looking at verse 16, the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. But who was the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David talking about? Whatever it was that David wrote down for us in those Psalms, had its ultimate fulfillment in Judas. Now, there was very likely some, when, when uh, David was writing, uh, there's very likely some event or something that he refers to in his own time that was taking place. And many of the commentators say that they believe that what, Ju what uh, rather David writes, and we'll read in just a moment, that what he writes uh, was true in general to evil men and uh, in regard to them, but the Holy Spirit had someone in mind and, and something in mind when he had David to speak it or to write it down. So it's ultimate fulfillment according to what Luke tells us here, whatever it is that we're going to read in just a minute, 
Uh, he said it had its fulfillment in Judas. He spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Okay? So now let's go and let's talk about what it was that, number one, David, number two, the Holy Spirit, as David uh, is being instructed by him. Let's go and look at and talk about very briefly tonight what it is that, that he says. Look down to verse number 20. We'll skip ahead there and we'll come back in just a minute. But what he says, what is written, is not mentioned, not written. David, or rather Peter, has some other things to say in between it. But it's not, uh, not spoken, written down for us. Luke doesn't record it until verse 20. There he says, For it's written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Okay, so as you look at it, we're looking at uh, a couple of passages here. Uh, Psalm 69, verse 25. Psalm 69, verse 25. That's the first part of verse number 20. Psalm 69, 25 says, May their count be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. The word translated camp there is uh, a place... It's not necessarily like a house, but it's a, a, a dwelling place. Uh, uh, it, it's where, where a person would, would be, where he would stay. But he says, may his, camp be, may his house, the way it's translated, may his house be desolate. What does that mean? What would ultimately Judas do? After having betrayed Jesus, what happens? He goes out and commits suicide, doesn't he? May his house be desolate. Because of the, the egregious act that he has committed, the sin that he has done, really and truly, he doesn't even deserve to live. You say, man, I understand that because Judas betrayed the Lord. Well, what about when we betray him? Do we deserve to live or not? Does, does any one of us in this room tonight, is there any one of us who deserves to live? How about live eternally? And how is it that we have the ability to do that? It's by the grace, by the mercy of our Lord. Second part of it is found again in Psalms. Uh, and this time he, he drops on down to Psalm 109, verse number 8. Psalm 109, verse number 8, for those who are taking notes. May his days be few, and then may another take his office. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Psalm 109, but what I want us to do just briefly tonight, let's go back over to Psalm 109, and, and let's do a little bit of reading. Psalm 109, we'll just start up there in verse number 1. Psalm 109, verse number 1. Okay, whoever gets there, just begin reading in verse 1 for us. May God's 
silent, O oh God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me with evil for good and hatred for my love. Now, now, pay close attention to what he begins here in verse 6. Appoint a wicked man against, against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about in bed seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his father's children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his father be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. All right, stop right there for a minute. Tell me about that language. Do <laughs> what? Figurative. Figurative? Okay, so what does that mean? Do what? Not literal. Okay, not literally, but what's it figuring? If it's if it's figurative, what's it figuring? Do what? I mean, does that sound like a prayer a Christian could pray? But it's in the Bible. And I wonder where that prayer came from. Anybody dare to answer it? Where'd that prayer come from? What? How'd you know that? Peter told me, didn't he? That David spoke it because he's speaking what the Holy Spirit said for him to say. And so what he writes down here is something that comes from God. What does God think about sin? He hates it? How do we know that? Well, here's one passage that helps us to understand it. And, and, and he does it in a way, he, he does it in a way that, that we, I mean, it's hard for us to fail, you know, to understand it. He, he's saying it deserves death. The one who's doing these things deserves death. Uh, let, his, let his house be left desolate. Let, let his children starve. Let, let no one have pity on him. Take it back to his mom and daddy. You know, let's just get the whole family involved in all of these things. This is what's called an imprecatory psalm, okay? An imprecatory psalm. And there are more than, than this one in Psalm 109. But uh, to imprecate, the word that, that we get imprecatory from, to imprecate means to invoke or call down evil or curses upon a person. 
Okay? And so this imprecatory psalm and, and the rest of the imprecatory psalms like this are, are psalms uh, that are invoking judgment and calamity and curses upon one's enemies or those to, to perceive to be one's enemies uh, or the enemies of God. And so as we look at it then, we have Judas being cited as at least part of what is uh, being said here in verse 20, let, uh, let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. At least that part we know that uh, uh, Peter takes by inspiration and Luke writes by inspiration, at least applies to Judas. Okay, and so the point is, what are they about to do? What is, what is it that Peter has stood up to do? We've got to find somebody to fill... Judas's position, okay? And he gives Old Testament scripture for that, and he says that ultimately what David was writing, it had its fulfillment in, in Judas, okay? And so these imprecatory psalms, you know, they, they, call, they pose a problem uh, sometimes to the, to, the, uh, to the minds of some, some but uh, we need to understand that it is representative of, of God's feelings towards sin. And we deserve death. There's not a single one of us. But for the grace and the mercy and the love of God, that is what awaits us. Not just, not just here, but the second death. And, and uh, we need to remember in the, old, in, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation... Uh, upon those who are sinful, the Bible talks about how that there will be a time when God, God's wrath will be poured out upon them without mixture. In other words, it's not tempered by His love and His mercy and His grace. That's how bad hell will be. And so as we look at, we look at the psalm, it, man, it sounds bad when you start reading through all of that. And you would think, how could David write that? Well, David was writing it because that's what God told him to write. And we need to remember that. Okay? And so we've got that imprecatory psalm. All right, it comes back to, the, comes back to Judas. Let's get ourselves back in, the, uh, in gear here. It comes back to Judas. Uh, and especially the last part of verse... Uh, 20, where he says that another is to, to uh, uh, fill his office. Back me up to verse number 16 again, Larry. <coughs> Brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a god. Now, we looked at what the psalmist said, verse 20, but what did Judas do? He became a god. A guide to those who arrested Jesus. That word is used a few times in the New Testament. Uh, the word guide, uh, it's used in regard primarily, actually the only other five times I think that it's used, uh, when it's not used in regard to Judas, it's talking about either the blind guide leading the blind, okay, or, or you have become blind guides, okay, but a guide... It, you know, there's nothing special about that word, but uh, <clears throat> simply one who, who was a leader leading someone to another. And that's exactly what Judas did, was it not? Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. 
And uh, what happens? Well, Judas comes leading that mob to arrest Jesus. And what did Judas do? What, what agreement had he made with, uh, uh, with the soldiers and the others that he brought? The one who I kiss, that's the one you want to arrest, you know. And so he's the one who led them to Jesus, all right? Now, uh, also, he said he's a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The word arrest means to seize, to capture, or to arrest. And, and so, you know, again, they seized him. The only... <coughs> I hesitate to get into this, and, and I don't want to spend much time on it. But the word that's translated arrest here, you might want to do a little study on your own sometime. Um, is the same word that's used in regard to Mary and to Elizabeth when they conceived the child, John, and then Jesus, or any any conception for that matter. It's the same. It's the same word that's translated arrest, conceive or conception. Now you figure that one out, okay? But it's the same word. My idea is this. It may have something, an argument in regard even to uh, uh, abortion. Because when that pregnancy takes place, when that person conceives, what has happened to the woman's body? It has been seized or arrested, and now, you know what the argument is? Well, it's her body. She can make the choice she wants. Her body has been seized, arrested, if you will, by that little one who is to be nurtured in a mother's body. You see, it's not, it's not just her anymore. There's another who has taken a part of her. Now, that doesn't cost anymore. I'm just telling you the words that are used. Okay, Y'all can go study that one on your own. But uh, it's the same word that's translated arrest here in verse number 16. Okay? Verse 17, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Okay? Now, Peter is still talking about Judas. Okay? He was numbered among us. Well, if we look at that word or that phrase, numbered among us, it's Peter simply saying that everyone considered him to be one of us. Every, every one of us considered him to be one of us. Okay? Go to John 13. John 13, verses 21 and 22. John 13, 21 and 22. Okay, whoever gets it, read it. You know what? Jesus announced, he's sitting there on the night that he would be arrested. You know, they're in the upper room, they're observing the Passover feast, and, and he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And what was the reaction 
of the twelve, what was the reaction of, of his disciples? Yeah, English Standard says they were uncertain of whom he spoke. Now think about that for a minute. It's not like Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And everybody looked at Judas and said, Judas, what are you about to do now? They were uncertain. They, they did not even begin to suspect Judas. Well, that's an interesting uh, word within itself. Luke chapter tw- uh, 24, verses 2 through 4 the women, when they went to the tomb on the morning, uh, uh, the Sunday morning after Jesus had been uh, uh, crucified, you know, they were going to, uh, to anoint his body with the spices and so forth. And when they came, they found the stone had been rolled away and they looked in and Jesus, Jesus wasn't there. And verse 4 of Luke chapter 24, verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling appearance. If you, if you had buried someone and you went back to the grave and nobody's there, what would you have thought? I will, I'm like them. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. Well, the apostles were perplexed when Jesus says one of them was going to betray him. Acts chapter 5, verse 20. This is a pretty interesting translation of the, the word that's used here. It's Festus talking to King Agrippa, and he's telling him about Paul. He's giving his, uh, uh, the story of Paul. Agrippa says, I want to, you know, I really want to talk to him myself. I'd, I'd like to have some, uh, some time with him. But, but as Fe- uh, Festus is, is, is explaining this, he says, Paul, uh, he, he asked to be uh, kept in custody, and he requested to go to Caesar. But, Festus says, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, what the accusations had been from the Jews, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. Being at a, Festus said, I don't know what to do. I, I don't even know how to start investigating this thing. I, I, I don't know. Same thing. Bible says, for he was numbered among us. Not one of them thought anything ill about Judas, even the ones who were there close to him. Not only that, but he was allotted his own share. Uh, He he was allotted his share in this ministry. Okay, Now, what does that mean? Well, the word share means heritage, inheritance, lot, part. That's That's what the word means. Now, what was... What was, uh, what was his share? What share did he get? He got his share. What share did he get? Look quickly at Matthew 10, verse 1. Matthew 10, verse 1. Okay, got it? And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, so what did they get? What did the twelve get? 
Do what? Power to do what? To heal and to cast out demons. Well, surely Judas didn't have that power, did he? How do you know? Do what? Said the twelve. So, 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 but, but surely Judas didn't have it. You know how smart God is. God outsmarts us every time. If you keep reading there in, in Matthew chapter 10, and, and you see where he called the twelve, guess what? If you keep reading, he names the twelve. And the last one on the list is who? Judas. The one, matter of fact, we're told the one who betrayed him. So Matthew, by inspiration, says this Judas got the same thing that the rest did. Okay? That's a big deal, isn't it? It's really a big deal. Because he had the same power that all of the other apostles. He had the same share that all of the other apostles. Luke would write about it too in uh, his gospel, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal you know, if Judas wasn't really one of them, then he sure got a lot. Didn't he? Now think about this. How could anyone ever say, this man, well, he never really was a believer. And yet, for those who would claim the idea of of once saved, always saved, the, the impossibility of apostasy. When you bring up Judas, you know what to say. Well, he never really was, never really was part of them, never really was a saved man. Well, what did Peter, by inspiration, say? And what does every other writer, when he talks about what does it say? Everybody thought he was one of them. And he got the same thing that everybody else got. And so that flies in the face of that false teaching of once saved, always saved, and trying to dismiss Judas, the argument that they use. Well, well, he never was really a Christian anyway. You know, if he fell away, he never was really a Christian anyway. No, he was, Judas was a part of them. And he needed not only that, he needed somebody to fill his office. He needed somebody to take his place after he's dead and gone. He never was really one of them. Now, he had, he had his faults, didn't he? For those of you who are in my Bible class downstairs a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Judas and, and uh, the tendency that he had. What was Judas's weakness? Money, covetousness. That was his weakness. When, when he... Uh, uh, when he made the statement that the, the, the perfume, the oil, the ointment that Mary poured on Jesus, uh, when he said that that could have been sold and given to the poor, Jesus tells us, well, you know, the reason he said that is because uh, he'd been dipping into the pot some. He was the, he was the treasurer and he'd been dipping into the pot. His, his weakness was the love of money. And so that's what prompted him to betray his Lord. 
when the men, when the Jewish leaders offered him 30 pieces of silver, what did he do? He took it. And he betrayed him. And we're going to find out and continue in our study next, uh, next week. You know, after he, after he did it and he saw what happened, I mean, he was very... That money didn't mean as much anymore. And he went back and carried it back to them. And he went out and committed suicide. Okay, so we'll talk about that more next time.